Welcome to the New Level Podcast, everyone. On today's episode, we speak to Abraham Megadish, who's a systems engineer and solutions architect at Gentoo Technologies. Abraham comes with 30 plus years of experience in the cybersecurity and network space. Um, and on today's episode, we talk about how the shift to working from home has introduced new cybersecurity threats to organizations. Uh, we also talk about how AI has increased the risk in specific verticals. And then we also talk about how important it is to train our staff um, in preventing these threats from impacting our companies. So lots to learn in today's episode, guys. Um, so without further delay, I bring you Abraham Megadish. You're listening to the New Level Podcast, where humans talk about automation. We bring you industry experts and share new ideas that help elevate your business. Join your hosts, Philip Aguib and Teresa Foreman, on the journey of automation technology. So welcome, everybody, to the uh, New Level Podcast. Uh, always joining me is my great uh, co-host, Teresa Foreman. My name here is uh, Philip Aguib, and uh, today we're welcoming Abraham Megadish uh, from Gentoo Technologies, uh, who's got 30-plus uh, years of experience in the IT space, specializing in um, solution architecture and systems engineering. Um, so, yeah, without further ado, um, Abraham, welcome. Thank you. Thank you very much. Hi, Teresa. Good to have you. Hi, Abraham. Hello. So, so Abraham, so today we have uh, a series of questions to ask you because uh, with everything going on with, you know, COVID and, you know, cybersecurity and, and, you know, everyone working from home, we, we thought we'd bring you on board to uh, help us understand and help our audience understand what's happening in this space. And uh, really the first question that we have for you is, you know, with COVID, um, we feel like it has accelerated the digitalization um, of business processes, endpoint mobility, and the expansion of cloud computing, um, in most organizations at least. Uh, and so we're wondering what security software trends um, are you seeing accelerated? And what role do you see your industry playing in helping companies recover and be better prepared for the future? That's uh, a good question. Um... Today in the industry, we're dealing with uh, quite a few changes that we didn't expect. People working from home was uh, a novel concept less than a year ago, uh, even two years ago. You know, you'd send the odd person home. Today, we have entire organizations, including medical staff, all working from home, which makes life extremely difficult. And then there's the problem of securing the communication on both ends. Currently, the world's uh, uh, modality has been cloud computing, and cloud computing is the right step for many things, but not all things. Um, you cannot uh, uh, put your car in the cloud. It just doesn't make sense. Neither can you put your user in the cloud. What you can do is put your data in the cloud. You can put some of your applications in the cloud, but the actual physical human being still needs a physical access to a physical endpoint. And the bigger problem with that is securing both ends of the stick. You're gonna have security at the cloud layer, and then you're gonna have security at the end user layer but then there's also the communication traffic between them. A lot of people don't know uh, that when you send an email, 
it actually routes through multiple locations on its route from point A to point B. And in between, there could be hundreds of hops. Each of those hops is insecure. Now, you wouldn't want your transiting data, medical software, uh, medical reports, uh, legal documents, transiting that same highway. So there has to be a modality that has changed. And people use things like VPN to get around it in terms of a security application. Um, what we've been doing is working on inverting that, allowing the cloud to exist securely. So the companies that uh, deliver uh, a ton of cloud benefits that a small company, for example, cannot afford. They cannot afford AI, they cannot afford BI, they cannot afford a lot of the key applications to help them compete in today's world. But that is delivered by many companies, but unfortunately, they cannot transit that whole system without exposing their business. So medium-sized companies, they have internal staff uh, that'll either have some of the certificates required, but none of the experience. And the smaller companies, well, they're just not going to get noticed because they have none of the capacity to hire enough of the tech. And the market keep talking about um, a lack of uh, skilled work sets. So we're looking at creating a level playing platform by designing a system that eliminates both the VPN and allows you to take one of your great guys and replicate him to a thousand times his own power. Very interesting. Very interesting. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're definitely seeing, um, you know, th these trends being accelerated, um, especially with each of those types of businesses that you mentioned um, being forced to, to, to innovate. Um, so, so that's, that's really interesting. And, and, and I definitely think that, uh, you know, the, like, like you said, that, that, that we are seeing a lack of skill set, um, especially with, with things happening so quickly. So Abraham, AI, you know, artificial intelligence, automation, all big buzzwords, right? These days, everybody's using them across many industries, many verticals, um, but it's becoming increasingly important to businesses and the people they serve. So what we'd really love to hear from you is what you're seeing in terms of how AI or automation are affecting the security industry. Well, that's, a, that's actually a very good uh, question because it has a multi multiple points that we can touch on. Um, basically, with when it comes to AI, uh, it's a set of automation tools and scripts. Uh, people hear the word AI and it sets off a trigger of a lot of keywords in their heads movies they've seen, things that they actually, uh, <laughs> some of them are completely off the mark, but the reality is AI is a smart scripting automation methodology to be able to gather a plethora of data from all your devices, put them into a system that you can now glean the information at a single key point, as opposed to hunting down, hey, what happened to this, or where did that go, or who called whom? All of that can now be integrated into one key methodology. Um, this ties in greatly in the words of uh, business intelligence, uh, the BI aspect of it, you take that AI data that is now gathered, you, took, uh, you take another kind of scripting system that's uh, business uh, integration and automation, and you ask it those key functions, and it now has a lot of locations to be able to put the, I'll get it, um, uh, probably the wording wrong, but it'll get you the key information you need in either a graphical or text-based methodology and now you can actually act on it. Whereas before, it'd be like hundreds of hours of hunting down and you probably missed everything in the process. This allows corporations to actually excel in the sphere of getting that uh, intelligent information gathered for them. 
Got it. Thank you. And and Abraham, are you seeing any obvious trends across um, very specific verticals? So, for example, you know, healthcare or the SaaS, the software as a service industry, data storage, et cetera. What are you seeing specific that's um, within industry specific scenarios? Ah, that's uh, that's also good. Uh, in in terms of uh, industry specific, we're seeing it in healthcare, and we're seeing it in the legal aspect of things with uh, legal software and software related companies. Um, one of the biggest problem is going to be the security of that data that's gathered. The intellectual information that belongs to the corporation must be protected at all costs. If it gets out there, both uh, there's a violation in both the Privacy Act and when it comes to the medical industry. Uh, that's why they have the HIPAA, FIPA, and other uh, compliance that most people have to uh, contend with. But the most important right. aspect of this is going to be how to keep that data at rest. If that data is transited, accessed, all of this, that's where the AI and the BI come in, in a corporation. But keeping that data safe historically has been a near impossibility, and it also depends on the particular customer's uh, system and what they're looking to do to get that uh, data algorithm uh, to stay in one place rather than expand. Got it. Thank you. All right. Very interesting. Very interesting. And I, and I feel like there's there are some some I guess mis misconceptions right when it comes to um, the safety side and 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 the the innovation side and 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 bringing these organizations into the cloud. Um, you're seeing a lot of trends now with uh, telemedicine. Uh, you're seeing a lot of trends with um, you know insurance companies and and I just think that uh, you know. What you said there about um, the risks uh, of security, I mean, some people are aware of them, some people aren't. And uh, I just think it's it's very interesting to see where this is going to go because it all is very new to a lot of us. That's that's very true. Uh, data, data protection is going to be the number one key aspect of the future. Uh, we have already seen that the transition from uh, a standard workplace environment to having a workplace environment like Google or whatever, where they had uh, restaurants inside that serve you while you're working, has now actually collapsed under its own weight and has gone back to workers working from home. That data that they are now gathering is three to 10 times more susceptible to uh, a violation. Basically, how do you protect your worker and your data when they're not in your office? When they're in your office, you can close off all the doors and secure the data architecture. You can't do that without it. Most of the companies decided, hey, let's move to a cloud environment where we can put everything in the cloud, which is great, but you still have that one small key. What if the violation is not the cloud and mm -hmm. at the endpoint? And that will be the impact that brings down a corporation, and it has. Uh, even shipping lines are now, <laughs> believe it or not, the it's the current thing that we're talking about uh, in the industry right now, is shipping lines, they're getting hacked, their customers' yeah. data is being exposed, and those shipping charters, the, tr uh, the big ships that are using uh, electronic navigation, they rely on it to survive. If something's mm -hmm. wrong, you're gonna lose not only the shipping container, but lives. So that's the kind of stuff we're looking at today. Got it. You know, how, how are hackers targeting humans and, and what can organizations do to train and achieve the prevention of these breaches, Abraham? Well, that's, um, uh, that's a tougher question. Uh, basically, hackers 
are not the ones doing it. I, I look at it as a more of a, a, an intelligence gathering society out there. Um, you can put the title hacker to anybody, a kid who breaks a software package, uh, someone who just copied or cloned somebody's software as a hacker. Uh, but today it's much more, um, I'll use the word nefarious. The people that are doing this, they're not looking at just getting a copy of Microsoft or a game of, or something out there. They're actually targeting the individual. They'll rifle through someone's garbage can. They'll put uh, uh, cryptic code into your phone and start stealing information in order to find out what do you like? What do you not like? What are your key uh, aspirations in life? And then they'll target you with either messages, communications, emails, letters in the post to slowly target you. And we call that social hacking or social engineering. And that takes hacking to a whole other platform. Once they get that, how do you stop it? Um, we have to go back to the drawing board because the drawing board is where did we go wrong? How did we allow this to occur? And is there anything that we can do today or tomorrow to be able to undo the damage that we are seeing in the market today? And it goes back, uh, it goes back to the level of the organization, uh, the human players, the people that are actually in the corporation today that are actually working there. The C-suite, they have a role in this. They have multiple responsibilities to the organization, aside from the funding of an organization and uh, the connection to other corporations and partnerships and so forth. They have a responsibility to work with their VPs and directors and the people that are in the downline to be able to achieve and act on all of the immediate needs of the corporation, including the product acquisition and testing uh, to ensure that that product does what they're looking for. But the one big problem in today's industry is a lot of people rely on incumbent technologies, someone they know because the marketing is much better than the smaller companies. And that's a danger because you rely on them. And I don't want to mention names, but many of these incumbents have had millions and millions of records released. Sometimes it's better to have the guy no one knows and your records would kind of stay private and secure as opposed to one that's already par uh, publicly targeted. Then the last piece of that is it goes down to the end users themselves. The end users must get trained. If they're not trained, if they don't have uh, the best interests of the company at heart, and I've got to say a lot of people in today's generation, they're called millennials. I don't mean to call any group out. It's not, a, it's not whether it's a millennial. It could just be somebody disgruntled or somebody that's just uh, been in the industry too long and wants to change their life or their course. And these people have to have the best interest of the company at heart to know when somebody sends you an email says, hey, I need you to transfer $30 million or even $30, not to do something without getting that proper, um, we call it in the, uh, in the old, uh, old modem, the RTX and, T uh, sorry, uh, receive and transmit commands to verify what you're getting and then double check it, CRC validated, verify what's going on between the interaction of what is being requested, who is requesting it, why would that person request it? Because sometimes the request can come from the CEO, but the CEO should never be requesting it of accounting without it going through the proper channels. So mm -hmm. there's a lot of uh, um, reevaluation of the product and processes, and it needs a company to help mentor them through that transitionary period of going to the cloud. By going to the cloud, they need to know, A, what processes are gonna fail that physical walking up to the uh, accounting department and saying, hey, I just met with the boss, has now transmitted to, I got an email from the boss. How can you prove it and how can you avoid it? So it's gonna be an interesting uh, transition over the next two to three years. 
But hopefully at this point, they're actually getting uh, some of these questions already answered. And we've been working on that solution for a while to ensure that at least the machines that are communicating are communicating uh, in a solid platform without the ability for someone to interact in the middle. Today's episode is sponsored by Vantry Systems. Vantry specializes in delivering EDI automation solutions through human connection. And so if you're looking for ways to increase efficiency in your business through EDI integration um, or looking to connect to more trading partners, uh, you can contact us through our website at www.vantry.com. Back to the show. Abraham, you talked, you know, about the privacy and the social engineering or social hacking and, you know, with everything moving online and out of the cloud and, and, and AI, um, privacy concerns, you know, hacking, security or um, top of mind, even, even among consumers who aren't necessarily very technologically savvy. So what are you seeing from customers in, in terms of what they're demanding from data privacy perspective? And how is that, to your point, you know, the strategy needed throughout the organization, how are those consumer demands for data privacy impacting the compliance um, strategy and implementation for an organization? Well, uh, the companies that we've been speaking to actually recognize that the data is their key to their success. They've actually also recognized that they have some serious trouble in managing it. They have other problems that they're not aware of that uh, come to light during the initial audit process. Uh, and the hardest part is an audit is not cheap because, uh, you know, you only get what you pay for. If I do a five minute audit, you get a five minute response. It's not going to address any of your key point. But to walk through an organization that's fully established, let's say with 30, 40,000 seats, the audit is going to take uh, more than two hours per seat because you have to walk at least a mile in that person's shoe. And if you can walk a mile in two hours, you're doing good. Um, the reality is it's a very high expense load for the companies to not only recognize what they have uh, as their data, where the transitions, what are the proper strategies to ensure the data stays theirs and not someone else's. Um, and then that data shouldn't sit anywhere else other than their severely encrypted and highly on-site systems called the uh, on-prem systems. And the only time any data should transit to the cloud is when it's uniquely archived in a method that somebody else cannot undo. Those customers have like legitimate security concerns for their business, but it, um, reminding them of that does two things. One, it agitates them because they know they have a problem. Right. On the other side, it gives them that, uh, hey, what do we do? How do we locally store it? How do we back it up? How do we archive it? Um, what locations are immune? What isn't? Um, what's our current process? What's our future process? What is the future standards uh, going to be uh, 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 implemented over the next 5, 10, 15 years? Because when you look at the roadmap ahead of you, you can actually see a clear sign of where you're failing in advance. There are companies out there that do AIBI. Um, but you need to work with them to ensure that whatever data is transiting between you and them is actually your data, not their data. Uh, how do you get it back? Like, just how do you get it back? It's a really good question, and it's a small question, but it has implications that resonate for years. Right, totally. Yeah, it's, it is a small question with big impact. Um, and Abram, how would you say everything you just described and having that legitimate security infrastructure and that how that's really changing the game in a lot of ways, how is that helping um, companies evolve the customer experience? Because so much of the 
um, experience now in the buyer journey is digital. And so how is having that security infrastructure evolving that for, for consumers? Well, um, in terms of securing it, uh, once a customer feels safe and secure, so I'll, I'll, I'll use any human being as an example. When you buy something on Amazon, when you go to your bank account and transit money in or out, you wouldn't feel safe with your money being there unless you knew that the entire transaction had a way of being protected. In terms of uh, doing it the right way, the AI and BI actually come into this. The AI can ask all the right valid questions before, whereas a human being would go, hey, no problem. But right. the AI has no, hey, it's no problem. Everything is a problem until all problems equal zero. Then the BI is the way the interaction uh, uh, occurs between the uh, employee and the data and the customer and the relation to all of this, those pieces all tie into the customer experience. If they know they're safe, they'll feel safe when they shop. If they feel safe when they shop, they might do it more often. And currently, when you go shopping to, at the supermarket, you go and you get just what you need and you head back home. Well, with uh, online shopping experience, you'll find people go online and say, hey, look, I'm going to go look for glue. I'm just using anything. Right. And then suddenly uh, a pop-up will appear. Hey, we also sell sparklers just in case you're doing arts and crafts. And if you're doing arts and crafts, we also do pencils and pens and oils and this and that. Giving that shopper the experience that they are being sold to, but that's because the BI knows their shopping history um, and it knows that the whole thing is secure for them. And they actually feel comfortable going, yeah, I'm not being spammed. I'm being shown what other options I have available to me. And that takes that customer through a buying journey that they don't feel threatened, insecure. Oh my God, someone is taking my data. They just right. go, wow, it works. It brings the anxiety down. Speaking of anxiety, with everything that's going on in the world today, you know, the uh, with COVID and how the pandemic is is changing so much, not the least of which is how companies are operating, and with the majority of the workforce now working from home, um, how how are you seeing that trend, the working from home trend, affect um, company security? Wow, um, company security has taken a hit. Uh, it's taken a severe hit. We're dealing with companies right now that um, are still in the transition. I know this sounds crazy, but they're still in the transition of moving some employees home. And the reason they're paused in the middle is they have met with these vulnerabilities that they just cannot address. Um, uh, some of these inherent risks uh, are the newfound loyalties, because let's say uh, your employee works for you, but because they're not making the number of dollars that they are used to. Anybody can buy their loyalty. And it's it's crazy, but that's what's happening. A, a latest article actually came out where a gentleman walking through the Tesla plant offered a guy a million dollars if he'll install a malware. I mean, wow. yeah, yeah, because the, the reality is he pays a million dollars to an employee. Luckily for Tesla, they had a good employee with the right ethics, the right moral structure, which is hard to find, by the way, when people are just turned over like sheep, this person had the moral compass to say, hey, look, this is what this person offered me because this person had in mind to uh, ransom the company for over $200 million. Paying a million to get 200, pretty unethical, but would have worked if you were Tesla and your, your employee breached his moral duty, his obligation and his fiduciary obligation. Uh, these vulnerabilities, they exist outside of organizations right now. 
and they are a threat to the inside of an organization. Information leaks uh, from employees, sometimes accidentally, sometimes intentionally, but it's all because it's happening now outside of the company. When uh, 30,000 people are sitting inside your building, that's 30,000 people that you know, all communication, everything can be monitored, uh, ingress, egress within the company. Once you go outside the company, you now have the equivalent of what I call a spider. Basically, the center body is now empty, but all these feelers on the outside are occurring. And now that spider effect is every single one of these branches can splinter off, uh, can cause more damage than the original body itself. So we have to figure out how do we allow that um, external access, external uh, people that also may have a huge skill gap, uh, skill gap problem, but now have access. And that's huge because skills gap, access, and then loyalty. If those somehow don't tie in, you have a situation that is gonna become very quick to explode on the scene for a corporation. It's not easy for them if they can't remediate from that kind of um, issue instantaneously within their entire infrastructure. And most technologies today, uh, as we've had vetted by uh, a hospital uh, uh, or a health firm out of British Columbia who looked at it, and when they looked at their own infrastructure and they saw what we were doing with it and showed them how the comparatives look, they saw that at the current moment, no matter what they did, every single tool they're using, and most of it is incumbent tech, is two days to a week before they could even track it down and up to two days to a week to invert the system, get themselves back to a safety factor. That's not acceptable. That's needs, a lot. Yeah. yeah. It needs to be something that they can control and capture, reboot, and the system is back to pristine, but not just one endpoint. We're talking entire corporate infrastructures. And that's what we've been working with them to address. And it does take time. And time is the one thing most enterprises don't ha uh, have because their employees can do the same thing uh, just as well uh, with access to on-prem equipment. So now we're trying to invert that again and show them. So right. it, does, it does create uh, major opportunities at this point. So Abraham, I mean, time is the, the one commodity we're always short of, right? And to your point, you referenced the number of tools, right, that have to be looked at and used and how that make, causes delays and whatnot. Are you then seeing an opportunity for the market or for an organization um, to create a solution that is more unified? And would that cut down on some of those uh, lead times that, you know, that we were just discussing? Absolutely. Um, the unified solution would allow a company to be able to control everything from a single source. Uh, when you have water in your home, you have a faucet, but that faucet all comes through one pipe. If any faucet within the organization in this situation, the house or the building, uh, were to leak for whatever reason, that single source that comes in is the one that you close and you can now mitigate from the problems that would or would not be there. So these unifications, um, uh, and I don't say one, there's multiple tools you can use to unify. And then when you converge that with, and I love these word, the, the, the buzzwords as well, when you converge it with AI and BI, you're actually able to see the problem before it exists, um, mitigate it virtually in, your, uh, in the logic set or in the problem set before the problem becomes. But when you think uh, completely moving your infrastructure to the cloud, as many have done, they're all finding out that, oh my goodness, 
The cloud is not my hardware, it's somebody else's hardware. I'm offloading it, it's my product, my business, but it's now in someone else's hands. And that solution is a huge vulnerability to them as well. These uh, outside corporations do have the best interest of their client at heart, but eventually the client is just a number. And as just a number, you can't actually act. When you had smaller companies taking care of companies, you had a person that you could directly work with. These people were actually um, under some sort of fiduciary obligation to the corporation, and you knew they would do the best they could do on earth to ensure that you're protected. Basically, uh, once they deal with that, then it's dealing with uh, simple problems like compliance. I, I say simple, but that's a whole other right. problem of itself. Uh, so the compliance is their second factor, and they've lost it immediately when they put it completely into the cloud. Using analytics like AI and BI to run your business is fantastic. You can do that with many companies, and one of the best features in that is that only what you need transiting in and out, and it comes right back to you. You can have an agreement that says transit in, transit back, and then have no replicated copy. Now you've got compliance of a different level back in while still having a cloud vendor protecting your business and helping you grow it. Um, aside from that, when you go to the cloud, there are capital costs and outlays that most people hadn't uh, uh, um, captured in their spreadsheets during the growth of their business. And now suddenly they're all in the cloud thinking, hey, look at me, I'm safe. I reduced my staffing by 80%. I removed all my hardware controls in the back end, only to find out that when it was here, you had a, you had a tough time, but you had it under control. Now it's out here and you can't see it. You can't touch it, you can't feel it, you can't protect it. And when the cloud goes down, and the internet does go down a lot, and when it happens, suddenly, what do you do with your business? How much are you paying per hour to your employees, even if they're sitting at home? So you've got to be able to now get your business back under control. And for those customers who've already gone cloud, they now have to find staffing again. That's gonna be a challenge considering somebody else has cherry picked their best staff. So now they're out there. Now you have to retrain, re-secure your business, re-secure your data, recreate your infrastructure. And most of that may be cost prohibitive once you've already allowed it to disappear from your hands control. I do want to touch on, um, you know, a company's uh, biggest asset, which is the the staff, right? We, we talked about uh, the solutions, uh, but I do want to touch on um, the skill gap that we're talking about, right? Like, let's say a company does want to um, handle this internally. Um, so, you know, earlier this year, both Gardner and Forbes predicted that the cyber cybersecurity skill gap is continuing to grow. Um, and that research suggests that there will be millions of cybersecurity jobs left unfilled. So do you believe that this is true, Abraham? Like, are you seeing this evidence? I, I do. I actually do. I, I see a, a huge skills gap. Unfortunately, people don't, um, they don't see it because some people look and apply for a, uh, a cybersecurity position. That's just a title. That's not even really what they do. Um, the problem with the skills gap is, you hire people, and today people are hiring based on a piece of paper that says, hey, I took a certificate course, I spent 18 hours of my life studying how to reconfigure routers. That doesn't make you a security expert. Uh, security experts are those who've actually uh, bitten through the problem itself, uh, worked it out, created their either their own product, their or, uh, own orchestration for this, 
but it seems like most uh, IT and IS are still just basic firefighters in this industry. And as a firefighter, you're not the person that should be in the first line of responders. The firefighter in the IT industry is a person who is brought in to assist the chief security architect. And that is something that is missing in terms of uh, titles in cybersecurity. That skills gap is not this small. It's actually extremely wide. Having that um, missing is something that every corporation, whether they're tiny, tiny mom and pop shops to massive organizations, they keep hiring and hiring and hiring and hiring, but never getting what they're looking for. And that is going to continue to increase until they're able to find one good guy and a solution. And it is a, a tied in process. One good guy that can be trained properly, one solution that gives you autonomous control over your network and a single point of failure architecture. And believe it, that's what we've been working on for nearly two decades. Gotcha. And, and Abraham, what impact do you think this will have on businesses and just society at large? Well, with the skill shortages, it's going to lead to a lot of infrastructure problems, uh, data loss, data control loss, uh, security instability, and unfortunately for all of us, the loss of a lot of companies we've known and grown and, you know, you never think about it. But we used to love having those companies. I'm not saying Sears in particularly, but let's use Sears as a name. How many people remember the name Sears? How many people know they don't exist anymore? How many know that corporations, Hudson's Bay, used to exist, doesn't exist anymore? Whatever function of a business to lose the skills that they needed uh, in terms of whether it's data-related uh, or just employee-related, if they've gone on to other jobs and you can't bring them back because they only want more and more money and that's the only thing that drives them, then it goes back to my earlier statement of that loyalty that has, lo has been lost in this uh, current generation. And that's a huge uh, security instability for the entire uh, business sector. And and do you think that this will accelerate this kind of security as a service delivery model? Um, I believe it will in some regards. Uh, the lack of skill sets um, obviously are going to uh, decelerate security as a service because unless you've got that magical person that I'm looking for like anybody else, um, it takes years to find them. Uh, my last uh, hire in that situation took nearly two years to find a proper guy. And that two years came up, uh, came with its own challenges. How do you maintain things? How do you control things? Um, uh, you know, we ran as firefighters. I'm, you know, I'm giving you from my own experience rather than trying to cherry pick from my clients, but we ran as firefighters trying to work on delivery of our security to the customers while not having uh, the, the right tools at the time. So we built our tool specifically called Gentoo to make sure that turns around so that in the event that you lose that one precious guy, they're gone, but now you have time. Something you did not have before that we talked about. And now you have that time to find the right guy, to find out their loyalty, find out their uh, ethics before allowing them to get into your infrastructure. And even if they do, the greatest thing is one button and you can bring your infrastructure back under your control as opposed to allowing it to accelerate outside. Yeah, no, that does sound like a uh, very interesting solution to, to look at. And, um, you know, it's it seems like having that one person that's in charge of it all in an organization is, is key to all this, right? It's not just a solution. It's about who is, who's in control of it um, and having a, a good plan in place for when, you know, things don't go well. 
Um, so, so absolutely. I think, um, you know, maybe what we can talk about for a minute is, you know, how organizations around the world are continuing to accelerate their move to the cloud using private, public, or hybrid models. Um, but with this in mind, you know, what really exposes businesses to new cyber threats as they consolidate IT applications onto the cloud, Abraham? Doing the same thing over and over and expecting to get a different result is what keeps popping into my head as you ask the question. Uh, we've spoken to representative of uh, both uh, the federal government and the Quebec government to learn a little bit more about their challenges and uh, not mentioning who we spoke to, but these are really uh, 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 people at top echelon who are challenged by this constant need to move to the cloud, push to move to the cloud, and how do we offload our infrastructure. Um, they have products, and uh, again, I don't want to mention incumbents, but these incumbents are big enough, it's like saying Microsoft. Uh, they have infrastructure support tools like VMware, Citrix, Microsoft, and now they're deciding, hey, we're going to move to open source, and not knowing how secure, how to secure themselves against these uh, target vectors, they're now moving to a whole new target vector. So it's like, hey, what if I don't use napalm, but I use gasoline? One is less flammable, but you're still going to burn, and that's the problem. So certain things can be done to mitigate the issue um, that is out there that these um, individuals within the government are looking to do. And it's not by uh, throwing away Citrix or throwing away VMware and switching to open source. Though each, um, each move is like a chess set. You have to know what you're doing, why you're doing it, how you'll secure it. And that goes back to that audit I talked about before, a unique audit that involves a, an organizational thinking change something that gives these people who are challenged with this problem day in and day out. It's not like a yesterday problem. It's a day in and day out problem and they need to solve it today. Yet this solve today has to last 10, 15, 20 years before they can actually address anything new. And so what we found is some of them wanting to move to open source and it kind of uh, a mind boggling situation that they're now getting into is I couldn't secure the first modality, I switched to the second. Now I'm switched from the second, I'm going to something that's so outside where I now have to hire skilled individuals. That goes to that skilled shortage we talked about. And those skilled individuals are even in shorter supply than the cybersecurity experts. So now we have a problem where um, reducing the number of people is thought to be a good idea. No, it's gonna be worse. Um, and people that touch the infrastructure, reducing them, that makes sense but it has to be done a different way. And then it becomes the largest cybersecurity threat to the public and private data sets that these uh, corporations, governments have within their infrastructure. Once that data is released to the public, there's no getting it back. And there's no getting it back. And I, I can't state that enough. When I say no getting it back, once it's released, the damage is done. And it is like a Titanic bomb, just blowing up everything that you've done in your infrastructure. One violation, they're in. After that, data is out and is not coming back home. As a result, governments are right now uh, using outside resources to try to protect and prevent these breaches, uh, especially with their data. And it's impossible since the data is now being stored and potentially can be looked at by other people who may not have the same fiduciary obligations that we do at working for a corporation. And that becomes a nightmare. Now, this is where AI and BI become a threat because the AI and BI that are going through your data set, who wrote the code? What is their goal? 
Is it to help the company or is it to glean information? And I don't want to use Facebook as an example and I don't want to use uh, other uh, LinkedIn or other things, but when you use them, today they censor people, today they're able to read into your text before you type it almost, uh, and then they can act on it. And that is already a huge concern when the AI and BI are used against you. And that's going to happen soon with your data. And that becomes a, another challenge that we haven't even talked about. Wow. That, uh, that, that is amazing. And I, I definitely think that we'll have to bring you back on the show and, 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 and talk to our audience as things progress, Abraham. But, um, you know, it's been truly amazing having you on the, the New Level podcast. Um, I want to give you the opportunity to give a chance for our audience to learn more about you, the cybersecurity space, uh, and Gen2 Technologies. So, um, you know, how can they do that? Uh, thank you, Phil. Uh, they can come up to our website, uh, gentoo-networks.com, uh, or just gentoo.ca. It'll take them to the link uh, right up to Gentoo Technologies. Uh, basically, what Gentoo is, is a single point solution that allows you to orchestrate your entire network without hard drives. Uh, our latest results uh, during testing with uh, a, co a corporation out of Taiwan delivering to the banks was uh, actually a, a truly eye-opening experience for me as well. Uh, you know, most people say, oh, your tool competes with Citrix or it competes with VMware. And I keep telling them, tools compete with each other. Even Microsoft competes with Citrix and VMware. It's not a competition. Our tool actually enhances the performance of Citrix, VMware, and Microsoft. So much so that what we were able to prove to them is a single hard drive in one single server was uh, enough to enable their entire infrastructure to light up at performances they've never seen before. And uh, one of the uh, uh, employees of that company said to us, uh, the part I especially like is the ability to move whatever application I need to the entire infrastructure. And in the case of an emergency, I can, uh, his word was, I can relief myself of the problem. And I love the way he said it. It's, it wasn't a relief, it was a relief. Because for him, the stress, mm. the stress was insane. 30 machines is not a problem. 300 starts to become a challenge. 3,000, and you're now starting to have panic attacks when you go to sleep. And when you hit a, a 30, 35,000, and in this situation, they have 60,000 endpoints. That means they get maybe <laughs> a couple of hours a night's sleep. The rest of the time is work, work, work. And when we implemented it for them, for two and one half months for the test, they turned around and said, this is a no brainer. And by the way, they had a podcast in Taiwan where they included us as well in their uh, speech about it. And I, I'm waiting to get my hands on that, but I won't understand it. So I think it's in Madrid. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's fun. It's fun to know that we're working in the right direction to help the world. Uh, this will bring a, a balancing point. Now a mom and pop shop can manage their infrastructure a lot easier. Uh, when they hire an outside tech, there's not going to be fear that the outside tech is going to be the reason their business is dead in a month. And a medium corporation can now continue to operate uh, where they want to reduce staff. I would say you can reduce the reliance on the staff, but now you keep them and train them and help them excel in their, in their own career path and bring us back just a little bit to the past where that organization is a group of people that work together and want to continue to work together long into their retirement age. That is coming back. I can, I can see it already. I've seen it with uh, this company in Taiwan and I can see it with a company out in Texas that we're dealing with. Um, the orchestration is 
bring as many people back in and keeping that uh, security level high, allowing them to be able to touch into all these new technologies that are out there like AI and BI without the fear, uh, the loss of critical security skills and the la lack of the uh, unique individuals that make up the company from its inception all the way through to its success. Amazing. So th thank you again for taking the time out of your busy day, Abraham, um, and to, to speak to Teresa and I uh, on the New Level podcast. We hope to have you back again soon and uh, take care of yourselves out there and, uh, and we'll be in touch. Yeah. Thanks again, Abraham. We always learn something new when we're talking to you. So thanks for sharing your time. My pleasure, guys. Thank you very much for having me on. And I look forward to seeing this and uh, many things that you do in the future. You're listening to the New Level Podcast, where humans talk about automation. We bring you industry experts and share new ideas that help elevate your business. Join your hosts, Philip Aguib and Teresa Foreman, on the journey of automation technology.